How can you heal your past, find peace in the present and transform your future? You're listening to Brave New Girls podcast, where we help you with the health of your body, mind, life and the world around you. I'm Lou Hamilton, artist, author and podcast producer, and my mission is to give you simple steps to heal yourself, help others and create a healthier planet. If you want to know how evidence-backed psychological interventions alongside spiritual and intuitive practices can help you, listen to my guest, Amanda Charles, author of The Psychic Psychologist, who will show you that no matter how many times life has kicked you down, when you're connected to all the layers of your existence, you can turn pain into purpose and live the life you love. Welcome, Amanda, to Brave New Girls podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Lou. So it's really interesting that your book is The Psychic Psychologist, and that's the, the name that you work under, because really those are two different disciplines, aren't they? Being a psychic and being a psychologist. How have you brought these two together? And I don't think there's anybody else doing this. What is it that you do bringing these two disciplines together? Yes, I think that's a really good question. Actually, it's taken me many years to be able to embrace and own that title. I still struggle every now and then because for myself as a scientist, I've been a psychologist for over 20 years. And as you rightly say, there's a big difference between our perception of the word psychic and a psychologist. So for me, the way in which I was able to embrace both of those at the same time was when I started looking into the research behind lots of phenomena, really. And then I also stumbled across, across quantum science. And quantum science shows us that at a subatomic level, we're all made of energy. And that then enabled me to start to acknowledge and accept some of the more intuitive practices, some of the healing experiences I have. And because I could find it rooted in science, then I felt more, it, it felt more in alignment and it felt it was in alignment with my integrity really to then embrace the two. And I feel that it's my purpose actually to bring the two together because as a traditional psychologist, I'm trained to look at your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors, and, and look at how that influences how you interact with the world and, and how you interact with yourself. But by ignoring the fact that we are multidimensional energetic beings, we don't, we're not just thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. We have an energy body and there is research behind that. So we need to incorporate that into the work. Otherwise, we're missing out from addressing a part of the problem, but also a part of the solution. And, and I think that it's that energetic realm from which it all lies and then comes down through the levels. And you've brought out a book to help people who can't necessarily afford to work with you personally and also to reach a wider amount of people. So can you give an overview to the book and how it breaks down what you do and helps people to work through it themselves? So not only do I want to put that book into the hands of people that can't afford to go to therapy, I'd also like therapists to read through it and to open, expand their awareness, really, of what we're capable of doing with clients. Yeah, so the book, it, I, I work with a timeline. So since I was a very young child, I was able to see down timelines. And so for me, it's quite important that we, even though kind of science, quantum science shows us that time 
doesn't actually exist and there isn't a past, a present and a future. It's all coexisting at the same time. Can't quite get my head around that. And I don't think many people can. I like to look at the past, the present and the future and its influence on us and, and what we can do over that timeline because they're not fixed. We're not, we have multiple opportunities available to us. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. So the, the beginning of the book starts with going back to the past because if we're not addressing what's occurred that's created the environment and the experiences that have generated who we are today, then we're lost because we need to have an awareness of that because we're living in a fast-paced society. We haven't got time to be consciously present. And so that means we're often living on autopilot. So without that conscious awareness, that past programming becomes conditioned within the self and it gets projected onto the present and into the future. And that's why we often find ourselves repeating the same old problems, the same things come back in a different way because that past programming is underlying that. So we actually go to before, during and after your birth to look at the, uh, the research behind some of the things that are influencing us. So that's even past lives. I bring in the research on that and there is actually quite a lot. I look at ancestral trauma and the impact of that comes down through cellular memory. There's lots of research behind that, as well as obviously you've got the whole behavioral element that would be passed on through generations. I look at intrauterine trauma. So what impacts us in the, in the womb, what's happening for the parents, not just the mother, but also the parents and how that influences the development of the baby, the fetus in the womb. And then after birth, especially if something has occurred during pregnancy or birth, that influences the, the level of attachment from the mother to the child. And perhaps if you've been born into uh, a family where there has just been a bereavement or where there's been some issues within the relationship, that can really influence things. So the timeline spans before birth, comes to birth, and then we come into the present moment. Within the book, I teach tools to help you process that past. but if you are on high alert, if your stress response system is activated in the present moment, then you can't be consciously present in order to process that. So we have to look at that first. So we're just, the central section of the book is finding peace in the present moment. So we're bringing in tools that have been scientifically proven like breath work. We're bringing in meditation, mindfulness practices looking at the chakras. So we're looking at each of the level of the self. So we're bringing in things on a physical level, bringing in things emotionally to work through your emotions, cognitive strategies to look at your thought processes, looking at your relationship with yourself and others, and looking at this on a spiritual energetic level too. So once we've instilled that ability to regulate your emotions, then we look to the future after processing that past. So we're using energetic tools like emotional freedom techniques in the book. We have got chakra balancing. So I'm bringing in a whole host of different modalities together alongside the traditional research-based psychological interventions. And then we look to the future. And so rather than that future being based on your past, because it literally is right there alongside you if you don't address it, we're, we're thinking, okay, how would I rather living my, my life? What, how do I want to be? What do I want that self to look like in the future? And so we consciously construct that future self, how we want to live on all those levels of the self. Because now we've developed that 
what I call inner tuition. So we're more aware of what's occurring at each of these individual levels of the self. And so we can think about how that might look and then consciously generate that and then bring it back to the present moment. Visualizations are actually brilliant. There's loads of research that shows that some of the research even looks at MRI imagery and can't see the difference between people that have imagined doing certain tasks and actually have done them, like playing the piano, doing exercises, that kind of thing. We need to use the visualization to bring it to life and breathe life into it through the energetics, through the emotional charge. But then we need to act on it in the present day. So bringing in strategies to look to the, the following day, write down three things that you can do that day that will take you one step closer to, to connecting in with that future you. And then addressing that in that evening, what have I managed to do? What haven't I? And, and tick it off along the way. So you need to work with all the le levels and, and specifically with action, because on this physical plane, if we don't do it, then it's, it's not going to happen. I'm interested in this idea of trying to be fully present and conscious in this moment and trying to live as consciously as possible and appreciate where we're at and really try and live in a way that makes us feel as alive as possible. And yet the past and past trauma does seem to have a hugely powerful hold on us. And even with traditional therapy, it can feel like that you're talking over and over and over the, the past. And the more you talk, the more kind of alive that past seems to feel and it feels like you're opening old wounds so how do you address that in a different way so that those things do calm down and become a thing of the past not re-triggering you in the present yeah and and you're absolutely right I think we yeah so whilst it is important to acknowledge what's happened in the past and to process that we do have to be really mindful that we're not breathing more life into that in the same way I described about how we can consciously construct the future. So it all boils down to the charge, the kind of the emotional charge that's related to the past. Once you have worked through it on each of those individual levels, and I talk about this in my hierarchy of healing, I work through those different levels of the self. Once it is in a place that belongs in the past, then it doesn't have that same emotional charge. So you can take the wisdom and the learning from that experience or whatever that may be, but it doesn't have to stay with you. So it's about who you're identifying as now. So you've got a conscious awareness of what's occurred in the past, your trauma perhaps. You've taken the lessons and the learning from that so that you're not reproducing that in the present and in the future. But then you're identifying as somebody different. So it's not about, oh, I'm just going to ignore who I was. It's about, I'm going to embrace what's happened to me. I'm going to take the lessons from that. And I'm then going to incorporate how that will, how that's helped me to become who I want to be in my life. So for example, I've had a huge amount of trauma in my life. I don't want that to continue in the present or in the future. And so by working through that and by no longer identifying as with that suffering, self, I can identify with the wisdom of what that suffering self went through and I can move forward from there. And so are you able to talk us through from your childhood through to adulthood 
who you were and firstly what kind of gives us clues to the psychic side of you but also how you've been through those traumas and how you've managed to switch off the charge if you like so that you're not being mm-hmm. triggered now they're two separate things but they're also one and the same because of my experiences growing up as a child that has opened my awareness to the fact that we are multidimensional energetic beings and if we address all of those levels, then we can truly heal. From a very young age, uh, I just knew that I was here to help and to heal, to help people to help and heal themselves, really. And I also knew that I would go through a lot of suffering in order to fully connect in with other people's experience. Now, that's not to say we have to suffer in order to grow, but for me, that I knew that was going to be my path. My first experiences with the kind of paranormal were very tricky because I was very much on my own with it but equally they were very normal because that's all I knew so there was no one there to say any different I would often just say things to my parents for example my my dad was a sergeant major in the army and he left the army and they decided that they wanted I lived up in North Yorkshire they decided they wanted to go and run a pub they were both coming I was 13 at the time they were coming to, Bur- uh, to London to live in Kensington, actually, to run a pub. And this pub course lasted for a year. And the 13-year-old me, as wise as she was, saying to them, look, don't sell the house, rent it out. I didn't even probably know what that whole concept was, but don't sell the house. You need to rent the house out because you're not going to complete the course. You're actually not going to want to carry on and run a pub afterwards. And if you sell the house, that means we will, you'll end up moving to Birmingham. That's where my nan lived at the time. And there will be a rupture within the family and it's just going to cause a whole cascade of of difficulties. And of course, they're not going to listen to a 13-year-old tell them not to do that. So they sold the house. They went to Kensington. They did this pub course. At the 11th month, they decided it wasn't for them. They moved in with my nan in Birmingham and that caused the beginning of uh, a rupture within the family. So literally came true. There were a number of situations when my granddad died when I was seven. I was very close to him and um, my uncle, my mum's brother, was very close to my granddad, his dad too. And after at the funeral, I actually said that my uncle would die from a broken heart within the year. And again, seven years old, what am I saying? And he actually did. And I didn't realize he had heart issues. He was waiting for a triple heart bypass. And sadly, he died at 35 before he could have the operation. And the same with my auntie. She, I didn't know she was having trouble conceiving. I'd gone around there with my mum. And I was aware of these little spirit babies. And I had the name Sally Ann in, in my mind. And yeah, she had these two, she had, they were blonde as well. She had these two blonde girls, Sally and Annie. Before we go on, I'm just going to press pause for a moment to acknowledge all you brave new girls, guests and listeners for the stellar work that you do in the world. Please do tell a friend who you think would benefit from listening to the show. Now back to our guest. There were lots of strange things that would occur 
but I never really read anything into them really until I was an adult. But equally, I would be near people and I would start getting all these energies in my hands and I'd just know that they were unwell and then things like that. But often if I would talk about things, it would just be dismissed. And there were other scarier paranormal things. I would see images of ghosts, if, if you want to give it that word, I wouldn't give it that word, but energies, experiences like that. So that was quite scary, which I shut off, I would say, by the time I got to my teens. And that leads into some of the trauma, in a sense, because I split off from that intuitive side of myself. I disowned it once I began to realize what it was. And when I was 21, I was diagnosed with a pituitary tumor. And I don't know whether, but the pituitary is connected to the pineal gland, which is said to be the gateway to your intuition. So you can connect in with other more kind of spiritual, higher vibrational frequencies through the, the pineal gland and the pituitary. And it's my belief that I actually physically manifested that block as a way to keep out a lot of these, this kind of scary paranormal phenomena. I became very poorly with that and was given some terrible medication and it affected me quite badly. So I came off it and my endocrinologist wasn't happy for me to do that. But at the same time, I came into contact with Reiki and started to, I became a Reiki practitioner myself, started to read Deepak Chopra's Quantum Healing and somehow just started, I didn't even have this awareness at the time, but I started to connect in with a higher frequency. So I was doing meditations and visualizations to heal my tumor. And I was actually due to go back on the medication. He was only allowing me a short window. And when I went there, he literally wrote through my notes, spontaneous recovery, question mark. And my levels had gone from 15,000 to less than 10. And rather than taking on board some of the actual tools that I was using, it had to be a spontaneous recovery. It didn't fit with his medical model. And then from that point on, really, each and every time I disconnected from all of those levels of the self, so from attending to what was happening on a physical level, if you stay in a toxic environment, whether that's internally or externally, so it could be a relationship or living in an environment that's not good for you, or it could be foods that are no good for you, or even just talking to yourself in a toxic way, then at that fundamental level, it's going to have an influence on the rest. And because I, I was working at Reuters at the time in occupational psychology, very much away from the intuitive side of myself again. And yeah, so then it would, it has a knock-on effect, a bit like a domino. So then it influences how you're feeling, which we now know influences how you think. We used to think it was the other way around, but actually the heart sends a lot more information up to the brain. And there's been some studies that show the impact on the brain occurs after. Then that's why by hierarchy of healing, it comes from the body to emotions, to the thoughts and the belief system that you've got running. And then looking at your beliefs and what's occurring at a spiritual level, how you're practicing. If you're not attending to all of that, then it's very likely that something is going to come back uh, for you to need to address. Your life is mirroring what is happening uh, externally and internally. And so the lessons are everywhere. And so for me, when I healed my tumor, you would think, oh, wow, great. You've got the answer there. You've got the key and, and your life's going to be great moving forward. And it wasn't because I didn't continue to do. We get better, don't we? And then we just carry on with how we were before. So I had endometriosis as well. And I was told by two doctors that I would really 
be very unlikely to have my own children due to the tumour, because that brings on infertility, but also due to the scar tissue from the endometriosis. But I inadvertently healed that as well. And so I have two gorgeous daughters now, which is amazing. But at the, during the second pregnancy, two months into the pregnancy, my sister-in-law died. She had cancer and suddenly died. Three months into the pregnancy, whilst looking after my three-year-old, my mum had a brain hemorrhage and died suddenly. Five months into the pregnancy, my brother-in-law had two epileptic fits and died from heart failure. The next day, my dad's best friend died. So there was lots of boom, traumas. And then I'd had this, uh, these precognitive dreams. So as a child, I would have precognitive dreams about things that would then occur. So for me, I take my dreams quite seriously because they have foretold a lot of things that have occurred. And during this pregnancy, I kept having these dreams that meant one of us was going to die, but the dreams would never end. So I would never know the ending. But I also didn't know whether, as a psychologist, I would think, mm, well, you've just gone through a lot of trauma. It's sudden. It's impacted you. This, your fear of losing this baby, it's probably that. It's trauma. Then the other side of me is, no, wait a moment. You have foretold so many things throughout the whole of your life. This could actually be a premonition. And that's a scary thing to hold. And not knowing uh, is difficult too, that uncertainty came to the day of giving birth and this dream had showed this particular midwife come into the room and I could see her name badge and that, that would mark the beginning of the end for one of us. And as I was giving birth, it was long labor. Then this midwife came in and I was like, oh my God, I was hit with fear. And it was just at that moment I had to push the head through and I did and there was no sound no sound. And in that moment, I was giving birth to a baby that had died. For me, it was really real. And we spoke about timelines. For me, it was like a new timeline had been generated where my future self was somebody that had also given birth to a baby that had died. Luckily, she, she hadn't died and neither of us did. And I'd been working on that throughout the pregnancy, visualizing a life beyond the birth and consciously breathing life into that. I've got no evidence to say whether that's actually what changed that direction, whether there was a timeline that meant that would have happened or not. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is what has happened. But that was a huge trauma too. And then nine weeks later, my own brother died very suddenly from heart failure too. Just at the moment when I felt like, oh, maybe I can start to work and heal through some of those traumas. Then my brother died, my father-in-law got cancer, he died, and my own father was diagnosed with a very rare brain disease called multiple system atrophy. And in that, you gradually, he gradually lost all functioning over the next 10 years until he was like completely locked in his body, unable to move, but consciously aware. I would go in there. He couldn't move, literally even his eyelids in the end. And I would go in and say, oh, I've got to leave at quarter past three. And I'm just busy chatting away to, to him. And he would look at me with his eye and he'd look at the clock and he'd look back. And I'm like, wow, he's registered that I need to leave now. Amazing. No time to process all of these events, really. And then I obviously became ill again. I had a mitochondrial disorder, which is all about the energy. I was giving out so much to everybody else. I got ME. Uh, I literally had to 
shut the world out, which is probably a manifestation of wanting to shut the world out. Partly, I didn't really want to live anymore. And I wasn't because I couldn't cope with sounds. I wasn't going out and, and doing things. I would just give everything to my children and to clients. I was still seeing clients at various points through that. Yeah, they're just a snippet of some of the experiences that I've had that show me and have proven to me actually that each and every time we stray from attending to each of these levels, then something will come to enable us to do that. And if we don't listen, and certainly if we repeatedly don't listen, then it's going to hit us harder. And it's usually through the body. The body speaks our truth and anything that's split off, any emotions, thoughts, situations, they come back through for healing. You've shown how we can disconnect from ourselves, but you've also illustrated how with attention and care, we can reconnect and we can address those things that we're going through in both psychologically and physically in our bodies and emotionally and spiritually. So how have you learned for yourself to, to reconnect? I know that you had a stroke yourself only a few months ago and have got well in the following months. How do you yourself practice using the, the techniques that you help others? Yeah, it was a suspected stroke when I was taken in. They diagnosed it as number seven on the stroke scale, which means long-term acute inpatient rehabilitation. And I stayed in for just over a week and they were wanting me to go to a rehabilitation centre, which I was not up for. I needed to come back and, and be with the girls. During my time in hospital, I, again, a little bit like I described earlier with the tumour, I would reconnect with myself, with the self on all of those levels, like consciously visualising that, but expanding out into the energy body. We can feel our energy and we can connect in with that energy which is all around us. We expand out and actually research shows us that our magnetic field from the heart expands out certainly at least six feet that they've been able to measure. So that shows how we can impact not only ourselves, but other people. And our energy shifts depending on what we're thinking and what we're feeling. So we have conscious control if we have an awareness that we do have that. So we can construct our own reality. And so whilst I was in the hospital, I don't really know what was going on in my brain or what was happening. I just knew the repercussions. There was a point where I couldn't move my legs or my hands and there was numbness. So I was working on reconnecting those pathways. So imagining within the brain that, you know, that like when you're plugging, like these headphones, you're plugging them in, that maybe there was a bit of a faulty connection. So I would imagine replugging that. I would imagine seeing the energy flowing through, the blood flowing through, seeing healing energies generating. So not only that, so that's more on the energetic level and connecting in with those healing energies. I'm a Reiki practitioner as well, and I'm really lucky to have some amazing people that I'm connected in with that were also sending me healing. Gordon Smith was doing that and he had a Buddhist prayer group sending me healing. The combination, and there's research to do with prayer and Reiki actually, that shows the benefits on psychologically and physically. So that was having an impact. I didn't know at the time necessarily, but I was improving and I worked on it consistently every day. But then also bringing that down, I was looking at my thoughts. I wasn't thinking 
as somebody that had a stroke. I didn't, even now I've said to you, it was suspected. It's not written down anywhere. And by the time I left, the MRI didn't show any evidence of it. So that's why I'm not buying into it. Like I said earlier, I'm not identifying that I had a stroke. I am consciously choosing to generate how I want this story to unfold. I was identifying as somebody that had healed from that. I always ask why. If a client comes to me, I always think, why now? What is this teaching? What's going on in the subconscious that needs to be brought into the conscious? And so for me, this was also, it was my book speaking through me. You're not living in alignment with your book. I wrote this book and through writing it, I disconnected because I was stressed trying to get to deadlines, etc. just how we all live our life. And it was like, no, come on, you are someone that needs to be in integrity. And so you cannot bring this book into the world if you're not living in alignment with it. And so I then had to go back to my teaching. So looking at that mental level and what I was identifying with and who I was choosing to believe and what I was choosing to, to see in terms of how this would unfold. And then I was looking at the emotions. It was really frightening, really frightening, especially I'm lying there and I've got the doctors asking me to move. My brain is saying, come on, Amanda, move your leg. And it's not moving. The, the morning this happened, I, I couldn't pick up a knife. I had no grip to feed myself, to think, oh my God, I can't feed myself. When I've just witnessed over 10 years, my own father locked in his body, unable to get his body to do what he was asking it to do. That was some, that took some getting over on a mental level, but also an emotional level. And I had to acknowledge that. I had to allow those feelings to be present and to look at different emotions. They're on a different frequency. So fear, that's really heavy. It's really solid. It's down here in this physical plane. And so in order to dissipate that, you have to go into the fear. You have to go into all of those thoughts that get generated from those feelings and the sensations in the body. That's where, it, that's where we're living. And so I needed to really acknowledge what I was going through in order to release that. And I managed to get out of there. I, I got myself home, progressed from a wheelchair to a Zimmer frame to a stick. Now I'm walking without a stick and we're two months in. I was told it was, would be six to eight months. We've all got this capacity. I'm not somebody different. I'm not. It's just employing these skills and really being present to them that we can all make a difference. And that's why I wanted to get this book out into the world, because I really want to help others to have an awareness of this. But also it's full of exercises. I think there's 30 different exercises that I want people to feel like they're having therapy in a sense, but that I'm walking alongside them. Because for me, it really is my mission to help prevent suffering, needless suffering in people. And first, it starts with an awareness, and the awareness is within the book. So, if people are wanting to take a very first step into this, one of the things that that people find really difficult is that they're, they're, they're overrun by their thoughts. People call it different things, but the monkey brain or compulsive thinking or intrusive thoughts. How do you? Because you've managed to like you got really in control of your thoughts, and it's a really hard thing to do. So what's a, a first step to being able to do that? Yeah, truly, I used to have so many obsessive thoughts whirring around my mind as a teenager, as an adult. It gave me insomnia. I would really, re that was one of my main things. 
I would really struggle with. And then I learned to separate myself from those thoughts and to have an awareness that I am not my thoughts. We hear people say this, you aren't your thoughts, you literally are not. That's just the thinking mind doing what the thinking mind does. But the problem is it's real because it's generating the biochemistry in the body. It's generating those emotions and then it can actually cause illness. So we've got to be so consciously aware with what we're generating. And the way to do that is to, a bit like I was talking earlier, is to expand out into your energy body. It surrounds us all. So you're just into meditation, centering yourself, focusing in on the heart, and just imagine almost popping out of your body, even just like an inch all the way around, a bit like, you remember the ready breath thing with the glow? Just imagine expanding out into that glow. And as you do, almost becoming the observer, not almost, becoming the observer of your mind. And then you're able to step away from it and you're able to become aware of what's occurring, what that's generating. And it's from that place that you can challenge those thoughts. I'm not even necessarily an advocate of challenging them because then you're in the thinking mind. And that's often what we get taught to do as a psychologist. You, let's look at what thoughts you've got. Let's find something more adaptive that's going to be more helpful to you. What we really need to be able to do, because like I've just said, we're not our thoughts. They're just what the thinking mind does. It's just to allow them to pass by. Is there a lesson? What, is, what are they trying to communicate to us? Take that lesson. Don't ignore it because it will come out in another way. Uh, take the lesson and then just allow it. I say just, I know it's not that easy. Believe me, I've been there. But it, with, it's like training. You're training your attention. You're training yourself to be able to step outside. And they do go. You allow them to pass. And yes, they might pop back up and you acknowledge them and then you allow them to go. You can't do that while you're in that mind because you get taken on the journey and it takes you. You never know where you're going to end up. You know, people are going to be able to read your book and work through it themselves or come and work with you. But whichever they, way they decide to do it, it takes courage to address these things in ourselves. So how do you define courage? For me, based on my own life experience, it's about living with authenticity, really, and allowing yourself to be vulnerable, even if that's uncomfortable, and even if other people don't buy into where you're coming from. And I think it's trusting in your innate being, really, that living in that way is, is okay. And if you're doing that, like I've just said, we extend out onto other people, then that encourages other people to do that too. And I think it's also about taking in, having the courage to act on that, taking intentional action. And then that in itself is going to impact others and the world as a whole, really. So yeah, very much about living authentically and allowing yourself to be vulnerable, but also having a bit of self, a lot of self-compassion, not a bit, a lot. Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your own story, but also for giving us the tools to help ourselves to come through suffering, heal and become whole. In this way, as you say, we're better equipped to then help others and the world around us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Lou. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Amanda, for showing us that we don't have to stay stuck in our own pain, but that we can do the work and move forwards to a more healthy future. You can find out more about Amanda's work on www.thepsychicpsychologist.com and follow her on Instagram at The Psychic Psychologist. 
thank you so much for listening. I hope today's story inspired you on your own Brave New Girl journey. If you need further support, head over to www.bravenewgirlmedia.com.